0: There in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 47, let us now hear the word of the Lord. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? One of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and the captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, But ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we do give thee thanks for thy word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask that thou wouldst open our ears and open our hearts that we might hear thy word, that we would digest as we hear the scriptures those things that you desire for us to learn. And may we, Go forth as thy disciples to serve thee. O Lord, bless thy word this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, here in this final section of the Gospel of Luke, we find this preparation in chapter 22 for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we come to that section in Luke's account of the Gospel where we see the closing chapters recording for us the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and His resurrection. We see this humiliated, yet majestic Savior, suffering yet exalted, punished yet innocent, hated but full of mercy, one who is subjected to scorn and yet is sovereign. He is not the victim of circumstances, but he is the wonderful and blessed Savior who gave himself as a ransom for many. I do confess that oftentimes as we come to this account in the Gospels of the passion and the suffering and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a sense in which it just becomes a history lesson. Okay, let's just record. Let's just remember all these events that led up to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I don't want us to see this simply as a history lesson. But I want us to learn from these verses what we find concerning our Savior. What kind of Savior is He? Why did He come? Why did He die in the way in which He did? And the question I want us to think about this morning as we come to this passage is do we come with a sense of wonder? Do we come with a sense of amazement? Do we come with a sense of love, praise, and adoration? because even though this whole account is a sad and grievous thing to read about here we find what isaiah recorded in chapter 53 and here we find a savior who is rejected of men a man a man of sorrows one acquainted with grief jesus is willing to go and suffer the wrath of the Father for sinners who betrayed him, who rejected him. Judas betrayed him, and his betrayal was a final betrayal. Yet Christ died for betrayers. Christ died for traitors. Christ died for all kinds of sinners. And so as we look to our text this morning... I'd like for us to see, first of all, in this passage, the betrayal of the Lord Jesus. I want us to turn just briefly over to John chapter 18. All four gospel accounts record the same events. John records it a little differently, but I think John gives us some things that the other gospels don't give us, that are helpful for us. But there in John chapter 18, verse 2, it says that Jesus was well aware that Judas knew where to find him. And I think that's something is easy for us just to skip over. That Judas knew the place where Jesus oftentimes would go with his disciples. It was that familiar place. And he knew that Judas was aware of that place and would come and would betray him and lead him away. If we were ever in a situation where we knew someone was coming after us, and I'm not talking about a civil magistrate who had a lawful means to come after you. But if we knew that we perhaps were having someone come after us in a similar manner, would we not resort to retreating somewhere and going away and hiding? And yet here in this account of the gospel, and in all of the gospels, we do not find Jesus retreating even though he was aware of that place where Judas would find him. The scene is after they come out of the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had been praying for this very hour, that the Father would give him strength to bear under the weight of it. And no sooner had he walked out of that garden, Judas shows up. They knew where he was. And yet Jesus presented himself to where his captors could easily take him. John Calvin says he went to death willingly. Here is in the opening verse of our text the passive obedience of Christ. On full display. We will see the passive obedience of Christ. Throughout the entire suffering. And agony before he goes to the cross. Here he goes willingly. As a lamb led. To the slaughter. And so I think. As we see the account in John's gospel. We find this wonderful truth. Jesus didn't hide from his captors, particularly from his betrayer. But here in our text, we are told, there in verse 47, while he was yet speaking to his disciples, about watching and praying and not falling into temptation, no sooner had he gotten those words out of his mouth that this multitude came with Judas, the betrayer, to arrest Jesus and to try him. This multitude that came to him was a coalition of corrupt and wicked ecclesiastical and civil powers. It was not just Israel that brought charges against Jesus. It was not just the priests and the scribes, but it was the civil magistrate as well. The priests and the Sanhedrin, soldiers and temple police. They sent out the Calvary. They sent out the full militia to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ. But there back in John chapter 8, in verses 4 through 9, I think it's important for us to to note this. Jesus... Therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth. And John records this a little differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because those three are synoptic or similar accounts, whereas John is different. But as they come to him, as they approach him, Jesus stands there and says, Whom are you seeking? Isn't that a strange thing to say to to a mob of people who are coming to arrest you? Whom do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said unto them, I am he. Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward. They fell to the ground. Now this is not the antics that you see by some popular TV evangelists. But this is the fear of God in the midst of even these corrupt men. They fell to the ground. And Jesus said again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered and said, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these, that is the disciples go their way. Here this multitude, this crowd came to take Jesus and to try him before the magistrate. He does not flee. He does not retreat, but willingly and passively goes forward For that hour that was appointed. Why so many? Why have a mob of people even see that in the text? He was no threat. He never once threatened the Roman government. He never once threatened, I'm going to blow this place up. Or I'm going to do this or that. He never threatened. He never had cause to threaten. But as we we see the crowd coming, notice who the crowd is led in by. None other than one of Jesus' own disciples, Judas Iscariot. We've already seen this previously. It was foretold that he would be rejected by his own closest friend. But here our attention is drawn to this betrayer who leads the crowd. And in Matthew's account, chapter 26, verse 48 and 49, and in Mark's account, chapter 14, verses 44 and 45, we see Judas overplaying his part. And the betrayal. Here in Luke's account it just says that Judas comes and draws near to kiss him. But in Matthew and Mark we see that Judas approaches him and he says, Hail, King of the Jews. You see Judas making all of this drama in order to betray Jesus. You see the kiss that's exchanged. You don't see it here in Luke's account. And so we see Judas overplaying his role, his part in the death of Christ. Don't miss the players. They're important as we understand this account. And notice in Hebrew culture, and it is still customary, that culture today, and even among Eastern Europeans, that when you approach someone, there is a kiss that is usually exchanged cheek to cheek, men and women, and usually that kiss is a sign of affection, but it is also a sign of respect. Now, in this account, as well as the other gospel accounts, This is not a kiss of affection. This is not a kiss of respect and honor. This is a kiss of betrayal. One who was a disciple, one who was a missionary, one who was a teacher, one who was a a worker of miracles, one who was a friend of Jesus, gives that kiss, the kiss of an apostate, the kiss of a traitor. And yet, here we find that even as Jesus utters a rebuke in verse 48, there is a patience and a tenderness toward him. Oh, the great lesson we learn the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, that even under trial, even under persecution, even under suffering, we submit willingly to every lot that the Lord has assigned for us in life. Jesus here rebukes the heart of a man who is hardened. Oh, I want us to understand, particularly here in the life of, of Judas. In, This is certainly a a particular account and certainly uh, something that is not ordinary. But I think it shows us of how hardened one's heart can become without the mercy of Christ. Oh, how our hearts become callous, bitter. How our hearts can become so hardened toward the deceitfulness of sin But yet Jesus rebukes him because he wants to appeal to his conscience. Because every man has a conscience. And yet that conscience can be seared. And in the case of Judas, as Jesus rebukes him, there is an utter turning away. There is a traitor turning away from Christ in vengeance. This is so important for us to understand as we understand the manner in which Jesus suffered, why he suffered in the way he did. This traitor, one who lived, walked with Christ, turns away in vengeance. But notice Jesus does not respond with a curt comment or a smug manner. He simply addresses Judas with his divine with Jesus divine name. He says, "Judas, verse 48, betrayest thou the son of man with a kiss?" The response of Jesus is a rebuke, but it's it's not that rebuke that we would often utter to someone. But notice in Luke's account, he says Are thou willing to betray the Son of Man? We've seen this phrase before, Son of Man. But the Son of Man is that title that speaks of his divinity, that speaks of him as the divine Messiah. But in this rebuke, we find Jesus revealing himself. In the midst of deep humiliation, Christ reveals himself as the divine Messiah. Fully God, fully man in one person. He reveals himself as the Messiah, as the divine Savior. And yet in full humanity does that all in the midst of deep humiliation. As I was looking at this passage and wrestling with this, thinking, how in the world can you preach this kind of text? And I stopped for a moment and took a glimpse and saw in amazement That this one who had the power to call down a legion of angels to rescue him stands passively before his betrayer in deep humiliation but revealing himself as he truly is. This is a tragic account when you think about it because often the greatest enemies of Christ can come from within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. J.C. Ryle gives an illustration of this in his thoughts on the Gospel of Luke. He states there that there are parallels to this sad commentary. He says the pages of history record instances of wickedness always perfected under the garb of religion. He gives an account of Count de Montfort, who led a crusade against the Albigenses, a reformed group prior to the Reformation, who ordered these reformers to be murdered and pillaged as an act of service to the, quote, Church of Christ. He says, when the Spanish Inquisition tortured and burned suspected heretics, they justified their abominable dealings by the profession of zeal, the truth of God. And he says here, this false apostle, Judas, has never lacked successors and imitators. There have always been and there always will be until Christ returns within the pale of the visible church, those men who will always betray Christ with a kiss. There will be those who will deny the gospel. There will be those who will bring great persecution upon the church even in the midst of all of this. Yet it is a great sin he reminds us of. It's a a heinous sin in the sight of God that one like Judas would betray Christ in this manner. We, We oftentimes just skip right over that and think nothing of it. I briefly mentioned the the life of Friedrich Nietzsche, the German philosopher. His father was a Lutheran minister. Wow. Nietzsche grew up going to college, had a desire to go in the ministry. And even his teachers said of him he loved doctrine, he loved theology. Yet he lived a a short life, he died an early death, he literally went out of his mind at the end of his life. Betrayed Christ, rejected that faith that he had been raised in, and claimed that God is dead. These are the impostors, apostates that can rise within the church. And this should be a lesson to us in the life of this betrayer. And yet, the Lord God used this for his own purpose and glory to bring about the suffering and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it have been simple for just Jesus to go to the cross and pay the ransom for the sin of many? To go and suffer In our stead. And yet all of these details. Are recorded. We might understand more fully. Who this Christ is. And why we must follow him. I want us to look. At the resistance that arises. Even from among Jesus disciples. Notice Peter. Peter. Peter's always zealous, isn't he? He immediately responds in a rash and angry manner. Lord, shall we smite with the sword? We have our swords with us. He no more asked that question than he immediately takes his sword and cuts off the right ear of that high priest. Nicollas, as it's recorded in John chapter 18. The question is, should we fight? Are we ready to fight? J.C. Ryle reminds us that the work of God may often be done from false motives. The work of God can always be done by party spirit. The work of God can always be done with zeal and for the praise of men but suffering for christ always comes from a motive of grace and in our trials we are to bear patiently under the hard providence of god oh yes we like the disciples want to resist the work of god but as you consider here in the passage before us, these disciples are ready to fight, are ready to defend the Lord Jesus Christ. They're ready to, to stand and, and defend him. And yet they did not understand that what was taking place, this rev- violent resistance that they put up, cannot stop the work of God. It would have been foolish for them to defend Jesus. He needed no help. As I said earlier, he could have called down a legion of 10,000 angels to rescue him at that point. But this is all a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus does not put us... Jesus puts a stop to this violent resistance. This passage is not a passage that condemns the use of lawful defense, as some have proposed. It is not a passage that promotes pacifism. But it is a passage that reminds us that we cannot deny the work of God, and certainly in the life of these disciples, They needed to be reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ willingly came as the scriptures foretold. Here's the close friend betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet these sinister players, even the disciple, the mob of people, and even the disciples play a role in what is taking place here as Jesus is arraigned and led away to be put to death. And thirdly, we find in this passage not only the betrayal, not only the resistance, but the rebuke that Jesus gives to his captors. When Jesus said unto the chief priest, and notice here verse 52, mentions those who were within that crowd, that mob that came to arrest, arrest Jesus. Jesus said unto the chief priest, the captains of the temple, and the elders which had come to him, be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves, Jesus here is saying what we saw earlier. Are you serious? You're going to bring an entire mob out against me? Did I not daily preach within the temple? Did I not daily walk among you? And yet you never once sought to arrest me. But notice what Jesus says here in verse 53. But this is your hour. And the power of darkness. Here is almost an overkill on the part of the chief priests and the the captains of the temple and the elders. They are out to destroy Jesus. Here is an opportunity that Jesus takes to speak about the work of God. The commentator, Leon Morris, says that there's a clear implication here that something underneath is underhanded. It's a clandestine arrest. In fact, you'll see in the trial of Jesus, none of it was done properly. We think about our court systems as being corrupt. Their systems were much more corrupt than ours, and yet there was something clandestine. There was something hidden as they begin to charge and arrest Jesus. But it was your. But it is your hour. The light of darkness has come. The hour. And the dominion of darkness refers to that moment when the betrayal of Jesus is carried out. They could not take him one moment sooner because it was the hour that the Father appointed for Jesus to be betrayed. They could not take him before the appointed time. It's only a brief time. And yet in all of this we see the divine purpose of God being worked out in the life of the Lord Jesus. Not only is it your hour, but the power of darkness has come. Satan is convinced he has won the victory. That he has conquered the Son of God. But this is all done according to the purpose and the foreknowledge of God. Even the cowardice cowardice acts of men, even the sinister plans of men to plot against Jesus, even the darkness and the schemes of Satan are at his bidding... To do his will. Oh, how we see here the wonderful working of God, even the suffering and the agony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Divinely appointed, the Prince of the world is now come to that hour. But all the details of his arrest, of his death, even down to the most minute detail that we often overlook, was all according to the purpose and foreknowledge of God. And as we consider here this morning this suffering Savior, this one who was rejected of men, one who was acquainted With grief and sorrow. Do we see with the eyes of faith how our Savior shows love and compassion for His people? How He patiently bears under the trial of rejection and betrayal that He might bear the sins of every betrayer, the sin of every man, woman, and child of whom he ordained to save. O oh, saints of God, let us not miss the wonderful way in which Luke records this, but even the gospel writers and Matthew, Mark, and John show us the beauty of this Savior. And so as we come to the end of the passage, what, what lesson do we learn from this? What can we take away as we, we think about this? Well, certainly we see in the midst of this that persecution and tribulation will always assail the people of God. Mark's gospel shows us that Jesus, as the suffering servant, calls us as suffering servants to bear persecution and trial in his name. The days in which we live, indeed, are days when there is great tribulation and trial for the church of God. But remember, our Savior has trod that road for us in full humanity. He went there willingly so that you and I would not have to pay the penalty for our sin, our sins. And there are some, I'm sure, sitting here this morning who have never considered... The importance of following Jesus. Oh yeah. Yeah I know who Jesus is. Yeah I, I go to church. Yeah I've, I've made some. Some pretense of, of confession. Or profession. And even as we see in the life of Judas. Oh how easy it is for people to mingle among the saints of God. And even appear to be a disciple. And yet betray The Lord Jesus Christ. Even though. This is a sad commentary. Jesus does win. The light will drive out the darkness. When the light appears. The presence and power of darkness. Are broken. Jesus. Describes himself in John's gospel as the light of the world. And in the end, the hour came. And the hour went. The power of darkness and those who oppose Christ. May have an hour or a season. But that will be all. Because in the end, they will face the judgment of a holy wrathful God and so as we look at this passage this morning do you see the Lord Jesus Christ as a beautiful and glorious Savior in his humiliation and yet fully arrayed in splendor and majesty oh I would urge you today To think about this Christ. I would urge you today. To call upon him. To turn away from sin. And embrace the Savior. Indeed is the Lamb of God. Who has come to take away. Our sin. What will you do. In light of this passage. As you consider. This Jesus. Who is friend of sinners a lover of our souls may we pray lord jesus christ we do come in praise and adoration this morning as we consider all that thou didst to bear the sin of thy people Lord, as we come away from this passage, we pray that you would impress upon our minds and our hearts the need to see you in all of your glory, in all of your humiliation, and even in that glorious exaltation that is to come. Lord Jesus, we pray that as we leave this passage this morning, that we would go forth in all of you who indeed is our savior our redeemer and our brother amen